Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is all of it on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. Damn good Chinese food is, first of all, a real treat. And as we learn from historian Andy Ko, it's been a staple for Jewish families on Christmas. Damn Good Chinese Food is also the name of a new cookbook from chef and owner of East Wind Snack Shop, Chris Chung. While Chris trained at the New York Restaurant School and was part of the original kitchen staff at both Nobu and Jean-Georges, his love is the cuisine of his childhood. He grew up in Chinatown here in New York City. You might remember him as Anthony Bourdain's guide to Chinatown in Parts Unknown. Chung says there has been quite a renaissance in Chinese cooking and in his new cookbook, Damn Good Chinese Food, Dumplings, Egg Rolls, Bao Buns, Sesame Noodles, Roast Duck, Fried Rice, and more. Chung takes inspiration from the Chinatown where he was raised, highlighting classic recipes from barbecue duck and lo mein to a steaming bowl of wonton soup. He, of course, adds his own touch, as well as trying to break down some of the more difficult techniques. Part of the timelessness of our interview with Chung is because his East Wind Snack Shop, a restaurant with locations in both Manhattan and Brooklyn, might be the perfect place to grab dinner on Christmas Eve or lunch on Christmas Day at the Carroll Gardens location for those who aren't celebrating at home, as is tradition for many families. To get into the inspiration behind his debut cookbook, I started out by asking Chung what he thinks qualifies as damn good Chinese food. <laughs> well, Great question. Um, so, you know, Chinese food over the, um, since I've been eating it, uh, I've experienced so many different types of Chinese food. And, you know, in my book, I actually touch upon it. They're all great Chinese food. So um, the Chinese food that you had when you were a little kid and going to the, to the uh, you know, um, Sunday night dinner uh, to the Chinese restaurants in the suburbs. You know, the Chinese food that you would have as a, uh, as a treat for a birthday dinner in Chinatown. The Chinese restaurant that you have at the little corner store, uh, sometimes uh, just as a quick to go. If you go into Chinatown itself, there's all these barbecue places and dim sum houses and great places of big, huge, um, you know, um, big, huge restaurants that, you know, you come to eat dinner with your, you know, with your family for your birthday and wedding festivities. They're all great Chinese food. They're all, you know, in every genre. Um, the the difference between the, the regions, Shanghai, Sichuan, Cantonese, there's so many things to choose from and so many different types of it. Um, you know, the journey can be, you know, a really, really great and long one. Well, let's start with the beginning of your journey. You're a New Yorker, born and raised in Manhattan's Chinatown, which is where you grew up eating and cooking. And you write about your family stories, like many people's family stories. You said, you know, started out with people who came here with not a lot. Would you share a bit about your family putting down roots in Chinatown? Yeah, it's a it's a common story. So, I, you know, I kind of think that Chinatown is has contributed to the American dream in a large way. And you can just, you can see the, the definition of the American dream in Chinatown where, um, you know, my grandparents came over in say the, I would say the early 1900s, uh, 1920, 1930, around there and settled in, in, in New York's Chinatown right on Mott street. And, you know, we lived in a, uh, you know, a very small two bedroom apartment, but you know, it, it's kind of, it was tenement like, you know, the, 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 uh, 
the bathtub was in the kitchen and the clothesline was hanging outside the window for you to dry your laundry um, and things like that. And, you know, you know, my grandmother and grandfather settled in and my grandfather worked in the restaurants and, and my, my grandmother worked in the sewing factories. And, you know, they would work like everybody else in Chinatown would work over, you know, 90 to 100 hours a week and, and work hard. When you work hard like that, you know, you, you're working for your family. And when you work for your family, um, you know, you want some, at least some good things in life and some of the natural good things in life that happens, that happens in these communities is great food. So we had great food and family to live on. And that's enough to, uh, you know, that's enough to get to the first part of the American dream. And, and then you'll, then you'll, you've seen Chinatown grow over the years. You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of the people who started these restaurants had kids and these kids have become doctors, lawyers, and accountants. And the thing that is reciprocal, that's, that's, um, that's, that's nostalgic and, and uh, you know, kind of puts a, a, a tear in your eye is that you grew up in Chinatown and you loved all this great food. Uh, now it's kind of starting to turn. And a lot of the great Chinese restaurants that I grew up with are, are starting to close. You know, mm. the, uh, the American dream kind of worked in reverse a little bit in, in that sort of sense where it kind of makes you sad that, you know, a lot of the kids um, uh, see their parents' restaurants um, closing. They don't want to take it over because, you know, they have kids and, and they're doctors and accountants on their own right. And, uh, and so Chinatown is changing in that respect. But that's where we came up from. That's where I was. Uh, that's the origin of, of my family. My guest is Chris Chung. The name of his book is Damn Good Chinese Food. So let's let's think about how Chinese food has made it into mainstream culture, mainstream food culture. When you're sitting around and you look <laughs> out and you think like, oh, my gosh, that was something that I had as a child, which you were now seeing on menus all across the country. What are some of those things? Yeah. So one thing that, you know, um, that I uh, and I point out in my book is that Chinatown, uh, Chinese, Chinese restaurant is part of the American culture. The Chinese restaurants opened up uh, well over 100 years ago and they opened up, you know, all across the country, but in big pockets like California and, and, and New York, uh, especially in New York, Chinatown, where I grew up in, it started in Chinatown and then you'd have some, you know, Chinese restaurants pop up in the boroughs. And then the next thing you know, you had a lot, the, the same Chinese restaurants, the same owners would go and open these larger restaurants in the suburbs. And when that happened, it turned into Sunday night dinner and kind of one of those things that, uh, you know, you can kind of look over easy. But if you go into those Chinese restaurants back in those days, you know, the whole neighborhood, the whole town would be in these in these types of places and they would be having fun and laughing and having a great time. And the kids grew up on that and the kids remember that. Mm -hmm. uh, and it becomes a really, um, really nice, uh, you know, spot in your heart for these types of restaurants and it, and it becomes part of uh, the American culture. And I believe that's a very important thing for us. So the idea that it, uh, all of these great foods and this great idea of eating around food and family has um, exported itself over the past hundred years into the suburbs and into parts of the country that maybe even don't have Chinatowns necessarily. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it became, we're going to the Chinese restaurant this mm -hmm. Sunday for dinner. And, you know, of course, <laughs> the answer is yes. And that would make people happy and put a smile on their face. And when you're with your family sitting in, in those restaurants, I would be, uh, I would be at the table sitting next to you guys with my family. Uh, <laughs> and if you guys made the trip to Chinatown, you know, you guys would, um, you know, we would sit at one table and we would be eating. And I did the, I actually did this same kind of conversation with Anthony Bourdain, where he, 
you know, he was the kid growing up in New Jersey and taking the um, the old station wagon with his parents out to a uh, Sunday night dinner, either in, in, you know, in the town where he lived or the occasional trip into Chinatown. And when he came into Chinatown, my family and me and and uh, and me would be kind of sitting next to his family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they come down, of course, for things like, you know, uh, roast pork fried rice and egg rolls and and uh, and General Tso's chicken. And and, you know, we would be having, um, you know, other things like, you know, sauteed black bean snails and pan fried flounder um, and things like that. But we'd all still be in the same dining room uh, with the same degree of happiness and the same kind of nostalgia that takes you away to a different a different state of mind. And, uh, it was cool to have both uh, types of families um, enjoying the same thing at the same time. My guest is Chris Chung. The name of his book is Damn Good Chinese Food. So let's let's um let's talk about your book. One of the things I loved at the beginning was how to shop in a Chinese supermarket. Because I think there's a lot of people yeah. who would love to try Chinese food but feel maybe a little bit intimidated or aren't really sure how to go to the market and get what they need. All right. So tell us a little bit how should we navigate, how should a novice navigate a Chinese supermarket? Sure. So, you know, the first thing is that to realize that the Chinese supermarket is a really, really crazy place to be. <laughs> it's loud. It, the aisles are narrow. There's going to be uh, communication uh, gaps and problems because uh, not only um, is most of the language in these Chinese supermarkets fully Chinese, it breaks into dialects. So some people only understand Mandarin. Some people only understand Cantonese. There's there's Fujianese mixed in there too. Um, our culture is kind of loud in speaking, so you'll hear lots of yelling. But they're not yelling in anger. They're just yelling to get their food. There, there. You know, there are no lines. So when you, you know, when you sit, you know, when you're standing at the butcher, and um, and there's a thousand people around you, you know, there's no number ticket like it at the other butcher places, like you know, um, you know, in your neighborhood. Um, you, you know, you have to kind of catch the guy's eye and scream real loud. It's, it's one of those things. If, if you show weakness and, uh, and don't speak up, you're going to get cut in line by like, you know, 50 little old ladies that are, <laughs> are trying to get their Sunday night dinner, too. So, um, so you know, it, it is intimidating. Uh, so you do have to take a deep breath before you go into one of these places. But once you're there and once you kind of settle in and realize um, that, you know, all of Chinatown comes here, uh, all the food starts here from the restaurants to the grandmas who are cooking dinner, uh, mothers and fathers, kids, they all come here. And, you know, it's the start of everything as far as food goes. So once you realize that, you realize that it's a treasure trove of, of ingredients and things to learn and, and great tastes and all these things that you may not, not seen before or, or haven't appreciated in, in Chinese food, but, you know, you're going to see things like pretty much the biggest live fish display you're going to see anywhere outside of the Coney Island Aquarium uh, <laughs> in any Chinese supermarket. So live fish, if, if, you know, is a big part of our cuisine and, you know, um, and, you know, you talk about fresh fish, eat it live. Uh, that's why the tanks are so important, and that's why you see tanks in every Chinese supermarket. Uh, it, those are not easy to maintain, but it's part of our culture, and we demand not just the freshest seafood and fish, but if they can be sold live, we're right there, right first in line to get it. You have that, and then on the other side of the cuisine, you have all the preserved 
um, items. And we love to preserve our seafood. It becomes an intense taste that is not just made for seafood dishes, but it's made for many dishes across our cuisine. It's one of the most important things that, that, that contribute to the flavor of our cuisine. And it's all found in the Chinese supermarket. So um, take a deep breath, like I said, and <laughs> just try to kind of navigate and, and go slow and, and, and kind of Taking all the, the the different aisles, and you have you know things from like the sauce aisles to the tea aisles to the candy aisles to all the snack aisles, and you could spend a lifetime in there. And, and please do, by all means, um, you know, uh, explore and have a really great time in there. It's a really really fun place. If I need to walk out with some essentials, some things that I should have on hand for when I open up your cookbook and want to try to make something, what are give me five or six things you should have on hand. You have to look at your pantry and one the one thing that you need. If you're not going to have anything else, you're definitely going to have uh, soy sauce. Soy sauce is uh, for Chinese cooking. Uh, you can't cook anything without soy sauce. Um, it's uh, the Western answer to salt. Um, in the professional kitchen, when I try to teach people how to cook Chinese food, you know, a lot of people who haven't done that before uh, automatically go for the salt because more western food when you're cooking it you're sprinkling salt on everything in every phase uh, of cooking or you know if you take a steak you're salting it first and you're salting it after and you're salting the vegetables in the pan in in um in chinese cooking um that salt is uh, not used like that so we use soy sauce and and if you've ever noticed salt is a pretty important part of flavoring in any cuisine so mm -hmm. uh please Take a look at all the different soy sauces. You're going to see everything from sweet to low sodium to mushroom soy to thin soy to dark soy to double black soy. Get yourself a basic thin soy. Start with that. Taste it. See what the differences are from, from the other soy sauce. Pick one you like and go with that. Any specific tools? You talk about some tools in your intro section. Something you think people really need that you really can't live without when you're cooking Chinese food. Yeah. So, you know, tools are fun. Uh, I'm a chef. So, you know, when you're a chef or a cook, having uh, to go down and getting, you know, new stuff for your, for your knife bag is always a fun thing. Um, and Chinese cuisine has a lot of different things that you're going to see and really kind of like, wow, what is that? I want to try that. But the first and foremost thing that I think that most people enjoy, especially like, you know, chefs and cooks, you know, behind the line, we love our knives. You know, uh, right now uh, they're, you know, yeah, you know, I, when I first started, it was a, a Wusthof knife, which is a great French, uh, very well-built knife. And uh, over the years, um, Japanese knives with these super knives with uh, so much attention uh, to the kind of steel that it makes, to how sharpened it is. But but I'm telling you, there is no substitute for a great heavy Chinese cleaver, and it does everything in the kitchen. So you buy yourself a Chinese uh, cleaver, sharpen it up nice. And you have a knife that pretty much can cut through any vegetables with ease, has the dirt and balance to be able to cut um, fine cuts like julienne and brunoise as well. You're going to be able to take those cuts and then sweep them under the blade of the knife so you can transfer all those vegetables to the plate or to the pan in one swoop because the knife is so big. And you're going to look like a badass walking around with a big, huge cleaver and nobody will mess with you. So, um, so those are some of the advantages of having uh, such a good, good tool in the kitchen and the Chinese cleaver fits that. That was the first part of my conversation with Chris Chung on his new cookbook, Damn Good Chinese Food. 
We'll have more with Chris after a break. This is all of it. This is all of it on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. On this Christmas Eve Eve, we've been talking with Chris Chung, chef, restaurateur, and author of the new book, Damn Good Chinese Food. Chung's book focuses on the cuisine of Chinatown, specifically New York City's Chinatown, where he grew up. Now Chung is the owner of a restaurant, East Wind Snack Shop, that has locations in both Manhattan and Brooklyn. And as I mentioned before, both locations will be open on Christmas Eve as well as Christmas Day in Carroll Gardens. So for those who participate in the tradition of eating Chinese food on the holiday, you have another option. In the first part of our conversation, we talked about some of the inspiration behind the cookbook, as well as how one can approach Chinese supermarkets, ingredients, and tools. Now we take a look at the book itself, starting with the famed dim sum classic, Hargo, or Crystal Shrimp Dumplings. That is the, uh, that is the iconic shrimp dumpling dish of, um, of, dim sum, of the dim sum menu. It's one of the staples. It's one of the things you're judged on if you're a dim sum chef, and um, <laughs> it's part of pretty much every dim sum house, every coffee shop, um, snack menu. It's, uh, it's one of the most famous dumplings in Chinese, in Cantonese cuisine. What is your recipe? So <clears throat> I follow the same traditional recipes as was taught to me by a dim sum master who taught me when I was coming up the ranks. And, uh, I also picked up this recipe because my uncle used to own a little coffee shop in Chinatown and, um, they used to make these, these dumplings as well, but near and there, uh, dish for me when I was a little kid, there used to be a little place downstairs, my grandmother's play, uh, house. And when I was, when I was good, uh, you know, it was well behaved, which wasn't that many times, but, uh, <laughs> they probably gave it to me anyway. They give me a dollar to go down and uh, get some of these dumplings, uh, as a little treat. And so I've had these dumplings since I was a little kid, learned them from my uncle and then learned them from a dim sum master later on when I actually became a cook. It's a dumpling that separates itself from other dumplings. Uh, the biggest difference I would say is that the dough and the wrap, the wrappers are made, uh, with no flour at all. So it is a naturally gluten-free dumpling. Not many people know that, but it is not a dumpling where the, it has been, I guess, changed to um, meet dietary needs of, uh, you know, uh, people who can't have gluten. So this works out well. So it's made with three starches, wheat starch and uh, and tapioca starch and potato starch. And you mix those with hot water. You, know, you make the dough and then, you, and then you also make the filling, which is basically chopped shrimp, chopped bamboo shoots, uh, a little bit of cornstarch, a little bit of uh, MSG, and sometimes a touch of salt, and that's it. And then you're making these wrappers by hand. They don't sell these wrappers um, uh, in packages, so you have to make them by hand. Uh, in 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 the dim sum kitchen, there's a special cleaver that has a dull edge, that we smush the uh, little balls of dough into perfect circles and then wrap and steam for everybody's enjoyment. You also include a recipe for wonton noodle soup. This is in the dumpling chapter and our listeners can follow the recipe on our website. So thank you for that. For those who want to dedicate the time, what goes into a good broth for the soup? So good broths, like anything, are are derived from bones. You know, it's always have to a good simmering stock going in the in on the kitchen all day, and that's what most kitchens have. You want to take a uh, a lot of uh, pork bones, pork meat, things that you've cooked, 
and get the flavor from that into your into your liquid and then it's you know seasoning so things like oyster sauce and soy sauce and uh the things like chinese sugar that gets boiled a little bit and everything kind of has a balance really the basic thing is simmer it low gets lots of flavor in there and then you can put your good stuff in like your noodles and your wontons any highlight at a chinese restaurant I think, are vegetables. I mean, between bok choy and garlic green beans, it's one of my favorite things in Chinese food restaurants. You have a recipe that is Sichuan vegetables. What are the key elements to Sichuan style cooking, especially when you're dealing with vegetables? Yeah, so um, vegetables are a very delicate thing to cook. In the book, there's a funny story about how I struggled on the line when I was cooking as John George. Mm -hmm. It's not Chinese food, but it was three-star Michelin, four-star New York Times French cooking at the time. And it was really hard for me. You know, it was, uh, it was uh, you know, coming up the line and uh, wanted to undertake this challenge and pretty much got my, uh, I, I, I took some lumps there, put it that way. And the uh, one of the hardest things I've ever done is uh, cook on the line. And that's sort of a high-end kitchen. But one of the things I learned was the sweet spot of vegetable cooking. You know, there's a window of time where you can cook vegetables where uh, if you hit that little 10 to 15 second window of, uh, of changing the, um, uh, the vegetables into uh, the, perfect, um, uh, the perfect sweetness and the perfect texture. And that does exist. And uh, it also can be carried over into Chinese cooking. And when you lightly saute something and don't be too complicated with it, then you add something which for Szechuan cooking is is something that's uh, kind of one unto its own. Is, is you're, you're, Now you're adding all these crazy chilies and, and Szechuan peppercorns and hoisin sauce and vinegar. And, and those both flavors really kind of pick up with the vegetables. So you have the, the natural sweetness of the vegetables and the beautiful texture that happens when you cook them and then you're uh, pairing them with things like Chinese vinegar, poison sauce, sugar, Szechuan peppercorns and dry chilies. And you get that kind of red hue that comes up from the chilies. And the next thing you know, your mouth is burning and your um, and uh, and your tongue is numb, but it, it feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> My guess, I guess is Chris Chung. The name of the book is Damn Good Chinese Food. So you close out the cookbook with a few sweet treats in your dessert chapter, including bubble tea. You see it everywhere. Um, what, why yes, do you think bubble tea has taken over uh, the world, I think. Yes. Why do you it think is, that's uh, so popular? Worldwide conquest. It's funny because um, that's a texture, I think, that was appreciated more in Asia and the chewiness of the bubbles. I don't think it was uh, embraced completely as it is now back in the day when it was first introduced. So it's it's climbed a long way. It's it's, it's come a long way in popularity. I, I try to make bubble tea simple. Uh, they, you know, they, you know, when you go when you buy bubble tea, they put the plastic cup and then they have the, um, they, you know, they put the tea in it and it gets sealed with that little that little wrapper on top. And then the machine does this crazy shake. And, you know, that's one form of, of bubble tea. I try to go a little bit more old school where I mm -hmm. try to find a really, really good um, deep tasting tea. Mm -hmm. We use oolong and then cooking the bubbles to their softest, sweetest state. And then uh, having an all natural seasoning ingredient, which would be a fruit fruit puree, and, uh, and a little bit of sugar, and, and you're in. Can I ask you about your restaurant a little bit before we go? Yeah, of course. So East Wind Snack Shop, what was your original hope and goal for this restaurant? 
<laughs> so, um, you know, I, I uh, you know, like a chef in the uh, New York, uh, in the New York market, I had, um, I had, um, basically we were doing a restaurant project I was doing with a, uh, a pretty rich, uh, company and, uh, but the deal went through. So I found myself uh, kind of doing nothing. I was walking down the block off the main avenue by my house, and there was a little store, and the sign said for rent. And my wife uh, basically said, why don't you check that out? Maybe, you know, we can open a place, do a, a small menu, have a little fun with it. And, you know, usually, you know, I was like, ah, come on, you know, probably not going to happen. But I called, and for some reason, one of the quickest deals I ever made. Two weeks later, we had a lease. It was a uh, labor of love at first. I we opened and I tried to do uh, everything myself. I was folding the dumplings and cooking everything to order. But it's funny because the schedule basically was I was cooking and prepping everything till about two o'clock in the morning, and we'd open up the next day and we literally be sold out by three o'clock in the afternoon, and I'd have to close and figure something out. So that was the first week. Mm. Didn't know that. People were so excited to have me open uh, on the block. Um, so we got some help, pared down the menu a little bit, made some adjustments, focused on dumplings. And I wound up, you know, cooking dumplings every day for a couple of years on that line myself. It led me to, I guess, journey into chasing the perfect dumpling. Yeah, you're known for the dumplings and for the buns, but you also have this. Um, are you still making that the dessert that the uh, what's it called? Oh, sugar. I can't remember the name. Dragon's Beard Candy? Yes. 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 So that's a really cool story. Uh, we are making it. Um, you have to order in advance because of COVID. It's changed some of the dining uh, structures in the restaurant. And that's something that has to be kind of made to order. Uh, it's a little bit of a show. And uh, I like mm -hmm. to make it in front of people so they can see that I take one strand of sugar and then pull and twist and stretch. And I make 12,000 strands of sugar uh, with no knife, just pulling um, and making the candy from, from one piece into, like I said, 12,000. And it is really cool. It comes out like what you would, what, what it is, Dragon's Beard hand-pulled cotton candy. It's so cool looking. Will you be open on Christmas Eve? <laughs> yes, we are open on Christmas Eve. Um, open for Christmas Eve in both uh, locations, our location in Winter Terrace and our location in Carroll Gardens. And we'll be open for Christmas Day in the Carroll Gardens uh, location. So, you know, Merry Christmas to all. We'll, we'll be there for you. <laughs> and before I let you go, anything about your cookbook that you really want people to know about the cookbook? It's a really, really special book to me. Um, like I said, it, it gives you a glimpse. The Chinatown's contribution to the American dream. It also gives you a glimpse on you know, the, the, the community of Chinatown and, and, you know, like I said, you know, you, you know, people come into Chinatown and want to really eat a really good meal and, ha and have a lot of fun, but you get to see glimpses of what the people who cook that food for you, what, what do we eat? What do mm -hmm. we eat for lunch? What do we eat for dinner? What do we eat for snacks and desserts? What do we eat on our birthdays? And uh, how Chinatown changes between, you know, the bustling day of making all these, uh, uh, simple orders and all these great foods and all these snacks that you could get. And once it gets dark, you know, the 
the uh, the phoenix and the dragon um, neon signs all light up and uh, the bear cans open. You know, you could hear the bear cans opening up and the celebrations for dinners and weddings and 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 birthdays and uh, and you get these big uh, huge restaurants with big tables for everybody to come in big groups and have a great time. And uh, you know, I, I I go over some of those th- those great dishes that we all as a community have loved to eat and cook for ourselves for the, over the last uh, hundred plus years. The name of the book is Damn Good Chinese Food. It is from Chris Chung. Chris, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Had a, had a blast. Come eat some Chinese food and, uh, and have <laughs> a great time and, uh, and enjoy the holidays. And that was my conversation with Chris Chung on his new cookbook, Damn Good Chinese Food. If you're looking for a bite to eat on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day in Carroll Gardens, make sure to check out his restaurant, East Wind Snack Shop. There's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here? And maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts.